Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for same race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals. All thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Baz and Izzy for breakfast on SENZ, and it is the first day of spring, Wednesday, the 1st of September. Well done. Congratulations to all those thoroughbreds out there who are getting their season off to a wonderful start. Lucky them, is Lucky them. We're joined by some great guests again today. Christopher Clary out of the New York Times. He is a tennis correspondent for them, covering the US Open. Spoke to us a little bit about Novak Djokovic and what he has Sitting, waiting in the wings if he can go on and achieve it. A grand slam sweep. No one in the men's game since Rod Laver in 69 to do it. Can he achieve it? We will wait and see. We had Andrew Scott out of Wexford Stables. And Matter Matter Races on today. Great to see racing back on our screens and on our tracks. He was in good form, old Scotty. Steered us into one too, fingers crossed. And then we had Stephen Fleming. Yes, he's a former New Zealand captain, but he's much more than that. He's not only our friend, but he is, well... He's probably the doyen of, of leadership in the current day New Zealand sports people. Absolute champion. Fascinating chat with him. You do not want to miss that. Finally, we've got some crowds over in Flushing Meadows this time around. And our correspondent, over, well, we're going to call him our correspondent, but he's actually the New York Times tennis correspondent. <laughs> and we appreciate him joining us here on Baz and Izzy for breakfast on SENZ. And I think he's on... A bus over there with plenty of people around it, but hopefully you can hear us. Good morning, Christopher. I can hear you. I can hear you fine, despite the bus noise. But if I'm going to be your tennis correspondent, <laughs> oh. I'd be looking for my paycheck, my paycheck every week. I want to be. I want to be seeing that every week. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's why. I back. That's why I backtracked. I realised that our budget's a little skinny to be getting such a, a fine tennis correspondent. Plus, the US dollar's a bit strong for us too. But anyway, mate, you must love this time of year. Yeah, it's, I got to tell you, as you guys were talking about earlier, you know, between the poetry, that was some nice poetry there. I was, I was enjoying that. But the, uh, <laughs> the way it is over here, it's, it's like, it's like a real shot in the arm. No pun intended, in the sense that people are back here at the U.S. Open. <laughs> it's been a tough time over here in the U.S. And basically, maybe the pun was intended. But the, um, the fact of it is, you know, it's just last year was dead. There was nobody here. It was totally uh, players playing to piped in applause it was very artificial 
I don't think anybody liked it. And now this year, you know, for better or worse, we'll see how things go. They have uh, new regulations in place for the vaccines. You got to have a vaccine to get in the stadium now. But the you know, crowds yesterday were huge, just massive. And then that, like, for changing of the guard at the night session when the afternoon session fans are leaving and the night session fans are coming in, it was just like old times. So I just fingers crossed everything's going to stay safe. Chris, we'll get on to the tennis and see. Just, I want to pick up on that point you made about you need a vaccine to get into the stadium. How do you prove that? Do, do you scan something? Like, how how do they? How does that actually work? Well, it's interesting because I've been, I was quarantined or isolated for a long time. You know, for over a year, I wasn't traveling, but I went back out on the road for the French Open tennis in Wimbledon and then the Open golf in uh, at Sandwich this year. And the Brits, they were doing it with uh, the, you know, the, the mobile phone. You had it on your phone. You had a proof of vaccination. It was a, a scan code. The U.S. were a little behind the, the Euros on that one. So basically people have their vaccination card most of the time. There are some apps that will help you do it. But you got to show it at the entrance. And if you don't have it, you don't get in. And obviously the kids who are under 12 have to have a, uh, a proof of a, a negative test to get in, too. So it's a, they weren't going to do that. And they changed their rules because of some uh, – Talks with the mayor's office here. It changed about 48 hours before the tournament. So some people have been scrambling, but it sure didn't affect the crowd yesterday. It was packed, packed to the rafters. Well, that's good because the best players in the world, we, we come from different sports, but we appreciate what the crowd can do when, when you're talking competition. And one of the biggest stars in the world, Novak Djokovic, is, he starts his campaign today, this morning at 11 a.m. He's, he's trying to become the first... Uh, men's player since Rod Laver, 1969, to complete the clean sweep of Grand Slam titles and move past Federer and Nadal. What's the eerie feeling? Is there some expectation that, that he can achieve it? You know, guys, I've been covering tennis and sport for 30-plus years. I've never seen a Grand Slam. Um, I started right after Stephanie Graf hit hers in 88. So I would love to see it. I think it's a big deal. I hope the people in the sports world around the world make it a big deal if he does it because, frankly, nobody's even come close on the men's side since labor. Nobody's even won mm. three of the legs until now. And what's it been, 52 years? So yeah. that's a big deal to me. I, I think it's such a hard sport with all the travel around the world, all the change in surfaces and all the ups and downs throughout the year. So it would be a huge achievement. I think he's, he's in good position to do it. But, you know, these younger guys are improving. One of them could certainly take him out down the stretch. And he, you know, he, I think he might have peaked a little early this year. So he'll have to do it, you know, with all his experience and his resilience, of which he has plenty. But I think it's going to be a heck of a, a home stretch. Well, you spoke about young guys. Uh, you know, no, no Jet Djokovic. Who's his biggest threat for this, this tournament? Well, you know, there are really three guys who've kind of proven themselves now. I mean, you've got Daniel Medvedev, the Russians on the other side of the mm. draw. So he's seated second. He's a great hardcore player. A lot of people thought when he played Novak in the Australian Open final back in February that he would really you know, threaten him because he'd beaten him before, but he ended up getting routed by Novak. But I'm, I'm not sure the situation is quite the same now. I would give Medvedev a good shot if he gets to the final together. Alexander Zverev just beat Novak best three at the Olympics in semis in three sets, and he's looking very confident. Won pretty easily today against the tough guy Sam Querrey from the U.S., so he's a threat. He could play him in the semis. And then you got guys like Berrettini and Tsitsipas, who are young guys as well. Mm. Berrettini, the Italian, played Novak at Wimbledon in the final. And Tsitsipas is the Greek who's you know, kind of like the closest game to Federer of anybody with a one-handed backhand. He's dangerous too. So there's, a, there's four guys there that I think are, are real threats to Novak if he plays them. Oh, I want to ask you about Nick Kyrgios. 
Another wee emotional performance yesterday. Uh, gets pretty lippy and, and wears his heart on his sleeve. How's he been perceived around the tennis world? Because all we hear is, is the things that we see on the media. Is he actually not liked that much? <laughs> well, Nick has taken on some of his peers, you know. During, especially during the pandemic, he's kind of gone after him and said you know, they, they, were, they shouldn't be organizing things or playing out there. He went after Novak and his, his, uh, his tour, his Adria tour, in which a bunch of players tested positive, including Novak back in kind of the peak pandemic period in Europe. And Nick, you know, he's not afraid of anybody or anything. He goes after him. Mm. I'm not going to make you popular with your peers, for sure. You guys don't like being called out in public like that. But let me tell you one thing. I haven't talked to Federer or interviewed him a lot. Talked to Nadal and Djokovic. I think they're all... Uh, nobody wants to play him, huh? He had a tough loss last night. Probably was most lopsided loss in a slam recently. Went down in the first round late night, which is usually curious this time of night. On a fast court and played Bautista from Spain, who's a very good player, and Bautista just absorbed his power and knocked him out in straight sets. So that was disappointing for Nick, I think. But the guy has so much ability, but at the moment, I just don't see him being somebody who'll be able to have that consistency he needs to be a Grand Slam champion. Huh? Mm. Talking to Christopher Cleary out of the States, of course, Flushing Meadows going on, the US Open underway. And, mate, you, well, not only are you the New York Times t- tennis correspondent, but you've also just recently... Uh, written the book The Master, which is the book on the great Roger Federer. You mentioned him before. What just an amazing individual he is. And, and how, how, how was that process, and, and did you enjoy going through it all? Yeah, it was kind of a lifelong dream of mine to write a, you know, a real uh, big publisher book, and it's called The Master. It's the brilliant career of Roger Federer. It's actually out in New Zealand for a couple of weeks. And, um, yeah, it's based on 20 years of interviews with Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic is kind of an account of his whole career and his process, how he became a champion. He had a lot of harder time than people realize, I think, making that transition. And it kind of recounts this whole amazing era in men's tennis, which they're calling the golden era, and I agree. It's been one of the best eras in any sport with these guys going at it for 15 years at each other and these rivalries. And I was really, I got some great access to Roger along the way of my reporting. I really think he's a remarkable person, remarkable champion, and he's a there's a lot to learn from him for all of us, not just for sports stars. Yeah, we, I love what he's about. He's an absolute family man. I love how his wife is at every single game. Mate, Roger Ferrer, he came back from a knee injury. Can he get back to the heights that he has achieved over his uh, career? If he does, guys, it'll be one of the greatest achievements ever in sport to come back at that stage. He's 40 years old, like you say. and mm. I don't see it myself. I think he, I think his, his best days are behind him now, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to write this book now, to kind of look back in a nostalgic way about all he's achieved. But if he pulls it off, he loves the game. He's an optimist. He's a, obviously a freak in terms of his ability to uh, still move well at his age, but it's a lot to ask. Tennis doesn't usually come back to you right away. He'll have missed a lot of time in the last two or three years. Mm. Well, Christopher, we're going we're gonna to let you go in a sec, mate, but we really do appreciate um, you taking the time to to chat to us here on Baz and Izzy for breakfast as well. Just before we do let you go, Ash Barty, she should be just about playing live as we're chatting. Can we just ask you quickly about Ash Barty and, and what her expectations will be in this tournament? Yeah, Ash is up playing well right now against Vera Zvonareva, who's a, a very veteran player from Russia. And Ash is, uh, I think, at the peak of her career right now. Got the confidence from winning Wimbledon. She's really, uh, I think, matured, grown up that time she spent in Australia when she couldn't get on tour last year with the pandemic, I think gave her a real appetite for the game. I love her tennis. She's a classy person. Um, I think she's somebody who 
and really could grow the game if she has some longevity in it. She's somebody who really uh, I think people are going to respect and learn to appreciate more and more as time goes on. But she's got all the shots, guys. You know, got the drop shots, the drives, the chip backhand, two-handed drive, great serve, volleys. She's a complete player. So that's great to see in the women's game, you know. And a former cricketer to boot as well, of course, playing for the Brisbane Heat over there in Australia in the women's big bash. She won the first set 6-1. She's tied in the second 3-all. But, Christopher, mate, we really appreciate you joining us. We know you're a busy man. You've got plenty on on the go, and, and we thank you heaps. And we wish you all the best as well with, with your book, The Master, on the great Roger Federer. And thanks for taking the time to chat to us. Hey, guys, it's a pleasure to speak to anybody who comes from one of the best countries on the planet. So, my pleasure. <laughs> Legend, legend. Thank you, mate. That was Christopher Cleary, who is the New York Times tennis correspondent over there at Flushing Meadows and, of course, the author of The Master, a book on Roger Federer, which is out here in New Zealand. It's been out here for a couple of weeks, he said, so that might be a nice little little gift to be able to pass some time while you're in lockdown if you can get your hands on that at any stage. But some interesting insight. We're joined this morning by a very, very fun guest he's gonna he's gonna bring a little bit of energy for us a lot of in, entertainment and hopefully tip us into a, a couple of winners he's a training partner of hall of famer lance o'sullivan at wexford stables now just doing a bit of research i said to lance you got any oil for us on scotty andrew scotty you got any oil for us and he said well ask him this you've got a segment on your show called country clueless ask him this yeah, we said he's in charge of all the old cows living at Wexford. A few had Hereford ginger calves this year, and they went to a black bull. So he's got a little bit of explaining to do. On the phone now, out of matter matter, is Andrew Scott. <laughs> Good morning, Scotty. Outstanding with an intro. Oh, you've got me speechless. That is outstanding. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can't explain those cows. Look, uh, <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> what do I say? <laughs> I've been, I've been it is the start of breeding season. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mate, oh, boy. Mate, you must oh, be no, pumped about, pumped about racing. Yeah, that's incredible. Pumped about racing today? Oh, yeah, look, I think the whole industry is just itching to get back, you know, and, uh, you know, these unfortunate times and this and that, and we've all got to just play the game. And um, but yeah, I think there's a, there's quite a buzz around the, around the traps this morning, and everyone's sort of looking forward to getting back out there. And we've been incredibly fortunate this lockdown, where last time we sort of everything sort of shut down, the horses went out to rest, and you know, uh, but this time we've been able to continue working and making progress. And you know, for a lockdown period, it's been a good time of year because a lot of the horses weren't going anywhere anyway and it might have jeopardised one or two horses a week or two but uh, the majority of them are still on the way up and on the way to the trials so you know um, but yeah boys it's it's great to be back at the races today and get the show back on the road and um, yeah and look track here this morning they galloped the feet out there this morning they flew around there they ran home in 35 and the track will be all right here today. It's dried out a lot. We've you know, had a pretty dry winter, which is great. And No, there'll be some big good racing. So, no, back in action. Hey, Andrew, is he here, mate? I just want to ask you, uh, how, how have your horses pulled up? You just said, like, you're lucky enough this lockdown that the horses could actually get a bit of work in. They pulled up all right since post-lockdown? 
Izzy, uh, no, nah, look, they've been, that's been great. You know, we've been able to continue to work them and they can make progress and, you know, their fitness levels can increase. Um, and, yeah, look, uh, Izzy, you nearly sounded you know, like you knew what you were talking about when you answered that question. Exactly. That question. So thought, uh, <laughs> exactly. Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm just relating it to athletes, mate. I'm just relating it to athletes because, you know, it's, those horses, we treat them like athletes, mate. They are fine-tuned athletes. Uh, uh, look, it's funny you to say that, and that's how we explain it to, to non-racing people. But these horses are mm. no different to the All Blacks. They, they take a good yeah. level of fitness. They've got good nutrition. They've got to have the mind. Mm. They've got to have sound legs. And the rest is up to ability. And... There is no different to the All Blacks or horse racing or netball or whatever. A lot of it is just the top two inches and a good bit of fitness and nutrition, and the rest is up to them. So, yeah, we can, yeah, to get the, a little average horse to win a half a race, uh, you know, a, a wee bit better race, um, we can, you know, it comes down to the trainer a wee bit. Oh, so you're a good trainer, Andrew, and I'm looking for one. I'm going to go to the cracker and buy a horse with Baz lately. I haven't told the wife yet. Still, hopefully, she's not listening. But, mate, talk to us about um, yeah, what's involved. You, you talk about athletes, and I know what these athletes have to do post-races. Is there quite a big emph- emphasis on recovery? And uh, do you, like, wear any special devices you put on these horses or anything like that, or is it just go out in the paddock and rest? Uh, if he, look, it's, it's a, a little bit It comes down to you know, a lot of it comes down to buying them at Caraca. Like, um, let's bring it back to athletes or humans. Usain Bolt looks mm. like the champion sprinter of the world because he's tall, he's athletic, um, and he looks like what he is. Now, Tony Woodcock looks like the best prop in the world because he's built like a, a, <laughs> a prop. And he's... Um, but uh, so these are two good examples. Now, if we're looking for a two-year-old type, where well, you go and buy a short, stocky horse with a good bit of muscle. If you're looking for a long-distance Melbourne Cup horse, well, you're looking for a, a, a tall, lean, rangy-looking horse. So you're going to buy what you want. So there's no difference between human and horse as far as athletes go if you're going to buy them. But the unknown thing is we just don't know if they can run fast or they've got the oxygen or the lungs to carry themselves. So... Um, yeah, and look, it all—it's all pretty simple stuff. You can, I think, I don't know, any good coach or any good horse trainer, anyone, if try and, you know, I've listened to Dave O'Sullivan and Mike Moroni, people that I've learnt from. It's—it's it's pretty much just good uh, horse husbandry, stockmanship, and the rest is up mm. to the individual, you know. And I think if you overcomplicate that, so many things, you just make it so much harder, you know. Yeah. Scotty, I spoke to uh, spoke to Lance as as I alluded to in the uh, in the intro, and he, he said, "Well, Scotty is a champion bloke. He's a hell of a horseman as well. He's just purchased twenty five acres of Matamata, which he took over yesterday. He was a bit concerned because he thought he thought is that the first sign that Scotty's going out on his own and leaving the Hall of Fame trainer behind? But you must be pretty excited, you and Sarah, to have settled on that property. Oh, absolutely, guys. Thank you. Yeah, it's another step for us. Is you know." We've worked our sort of way through housing, and and this is what you know Sarah and myself have always wanted is to get our own block of land and you know carve our way through it, and we'll hopefully do it up and get it uh, up and running. And it's, it's a really it's a it's pretty run down. And it looks a bit bit average at the moment, but we've got all our own ideas, and 
a couple of the RB winners were trained out of the place, like Roger James trained there. He had Zonder and Royston were trained out of the place. So, um, but no, we've got no intentions of going out on our own. Um, I tell you what, <laughs> Brendan, but the really exciting things happening today at the farm. There's, uh, there's eight heifers arriving today. <laughs> mm. <laughs> you all right? Really? You going to be all right? <laughs> my, my wife said, oh, do you want me to let the cows out of the yards? I said, no, 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 leave them there. Leave them there. I'll sort them out when I'm finished with the races. So, uh <laughs> <laughs> Country clued up. Oh. Izzy, you got a question for Scotty? <clears throat> Mate, I have, Scotty. A big part of our show. Big part of our show, Scotty, is tipping. Baz has been tipping like an absolute champion, and our listeners love a tip, mate, and I love a wee tip too. So give us a tip. Give us some gold and gravy, mate. Uh, what have we got? What have we got? What have we got? Uh, look, today our best chance is perfectionist in race six. Uh, and it's probably an each-way chance. I wouldn't go out all out and win. Um, you yep. should get money to get your money back if it runs a place. Uh, probably long over the next sort of three weeks, and we're probably tipping a hard one here, but, you know, the, the Tarzino down at Hastings in a couple of weeks with Dragon Leap, like, we think he's yes, coming boy. up really well. Um and look, he, he's a bit of value in his price at the present time. If you wanted to sort of pin one, you could sort of say, and you wanted to have a go, like he, he'd be a, he's a good chance, we think, you know. Um, so okay. there's one bit of a roughie anyway. Beautiful. Well, he's, he's at about yes, 650 at the moment. I got, I, I got 11s, if I'm being honest. It's, but anyway, oh. looking forward to watching Dragon Leaf and the Tarzino. Scotty, we're going to let you go, mate, but uh, thanks heaps for joining us on Baz and Izzy for breakfast. All the best today with your team, and congratulations again on, on the purchase of the, the acreage here in Matamata, and, and uh, I'm sure your family will absolutely love it. I'll be in touch, bud. Hey, all the very best, team. Thanks for having us on. He's about to jet set off on his private jet to the sunny side of the world to make his millions <laughs> in three weeks of work. But before he sets <laughs> off, we thought we'd uh, get him on for a wee chat. He's passionate about coaching. He's passionate about team cohesion. And, well, he doesn't mind a wee drink of red wine. And must say, he's got the biggest wine cellar I've ever seen. Welcome to the eight handicap golfer, Stephen Fleming. Just before you go, Fleming, <laughs> just before you get started, I'd just like to offer my help for your section if you need me to look after... You know, your little your little section out in uh, Hoka Downs down the road there, you know. You need any hand there, mate? I'll maintain it for you while you're away, bud. <laughs> Morning, Izzy. There's a lot in that intro. That's, um, that's a good effort, considering how much influencing you would have been doing over lockdown. So well done. <laughs> getting yourself some time to write that. There's a couple of mistruths in there, but... Hey, as you guys know, it's uh, don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. It's my uh, my lawns are growing. They finally started growing, as I'm sure yours are. But um, I actually had uh, a mower ready to go, and it went in for a service uh, Tuesday two weeks ago. So I might need you to whip round and, um, and mow the lawns, but which won't take long. I'll do that for you, Flemo, well, mate. Flemo. Flemo, is his lawn's looking great because he's been using the old Swift Grow on them, which hasn't made its way to Matter Matter just yet, but it must be in the mail somewhere, somewhere, You'll somehow. You'll see that soon, mate. mate. I'll influence that soon, mate. <laughs> Talk to <laughs> us, mate. Uh, lockdown life. How's it been for you guys out there in uh, out there in Ahoka? 
Well, it's pretty good. Um, very fortunate uh, to have a little bit of space. So with, uh, with the three kiddies running around um, after their schooling, it, it makes a difference just getting outside and uh, a bit of fresh air. The first week was, was great weather down here in Christchurch. So um, it, it actually makes it a nice change. You get some good time with the with the family. The second week's a little bit different. Weather changed and homeschooling gets a bit niggly. But um, I guess we're very fortunate to to be moving down a level, even though it doesn't make a huge difference to um, sort of day-to-day life, it's um, it's nice that things are hopefully tracking in the right way. What have you been doing to keep yourself busy, um, Liam? I know you got a little bit of a pass three out the back. You've been hitting any balls? Oh, I haven't hit a lot. Is I um, uh, sort of been trying to get anything ready before I go away. I'm sort of trying to think of something smart mm. to say around that golf. But we have got a golf tournament coming out when I get back, so I've sort of mentally been going through. Um, few changes and the good thing about some of the hotels um, in Dubai the curtains are incredibly thick so you can sort of judge the quality of the hotel room by what number iron you can hit into the curtain and just have it drop down it's a risky at the start but um, I've got a, a pitching wedge I don't have my pitching wedges as far as you boys that's for sure and um, so I'll just work on grooving the swing for that for uh, for a big tournament in November which I think you two boys are attending we are we're actually attending a golf tournament called the Donk, which is second only to the New Zealand Open. And the Donk is hosted by Stephen Fleming, our, our guest on the show this morning. It's good that you come on the show, because Hardy, he doesn't come on the show, and he doesn't extend the invite to Izzy and I for um, for the New Zealand Open either. So we appreciate you coming on the show, Flem. Mate, talk to us about the IPL and, and the travels. Your team's sitting sitting pretty good towards the top end of that tournament with uh, at the halfway stage. You, you excited to get back over there? Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's, it's got some challenges um, around travel and then, of course, getting home. But from a, a tournament point of view, we did um, have a good run in the first half. Uh, but that's all it was, really. We um, we had a bit of momentum and a little bit of form, which can mean very little game to game. But uh, we finished with a loss against Mumbai and start with our first game up against Mumbai. So, again, it's a lot of work pre-season and a lot of work getting the um, the right environment and the, and, and the frame of mind, I guess, to finish the tournament off well, it can really turn on you quite quickly. So under no illusions mm-hmm. about the work needed to to stay around the top and get through to the finals. We've got teams like uh, Kolkata that have now become very dangerous bears, don't they? Because with nothing to fear, I'm pretty sure <laughs> they'll, so. uh, they'll be so going so. hard, just like uh, <laughs> their, their, their coach. So um, no, there's, um, there is a lot to play for and we're... Um, I'm excited about getting over there, but it's it's still a lot of weeks. It's like two seasons in one, so uh, yeah, a little bit nervous, but looking forward to it. Flemo, I want to talk to you a little bit, slightly different um, to just normal cricket chat. We've had Reese Walsh has obviously had a, a breakout season for um, the Warriors, a young man who a lot has been thrust upon him and, and laid at his feet. We've got Josh Awani, who is now transferred from um, from Otago uh, to. To the Chiefs, and he's had a couple issues off field as well. Really fascinated, and I consider you one of well the best leader I've, I've played under and had the experience to to learn off. What's your take on being able to um, guide these young these young guys, these young talents, and try and mould them towards becoming more successful in their careers during the time that they've got? Well, thank you, Baz. I. Um it's no real one set answer, I don't think. It's it's really managing the man, and we sometimes get caught up with over trying to overproduce a culture and, and overproduce 
some good buzzwords and good effects within the group, but really managing the man um, and how he fits into the group and, and the qualities he brings and, and, and how much rope or, or what exactly the athlete needs is very important. So sometimes that gets lost in the team environment. So it's really, really specific about how you're going to work with each individual and um, applying those rules. We can get caught up in generalisations with a lot of team talk. So I'm not massive on, on team meetings. I think team meetings miss the mark. There's a lot of one-on-one conversations and a lot of work just reinforcing team rules and, and structures and a, and a few um, non-negotiables. But in between that, it's a little bit of give and take about getting to know the player and, and actually understand what the player needs and how he ticks so that that can fit into your overall game plan. I just wonder if there's enough time spent with individuals um, these days, whereas there's a lot of team focus and a lot of cultural focus and a lot of um, events that are, are trying to get the, the perfect outcome around how the team's operating rather than making sure that the individuals are, are going okay and you've got a good finger on the pulse as to whether they need more attention or less and it can change quite quickly, but um, that barometer is very important around your people. Awesome, awesome answer. Um, love that, love that, getting to know your players. And um, the other day we asked Smithy a question about current players and the experiences they have. How do we keep them involved in the game that they play? And, and what, what kind of excited you about getting into coaching and maybe you could pass on to, to past players that are potentially thinking about coaching? What excited you, um, Flynn? Well, my story's a bit different as I... Um I finished off, <laughs> I finished off um, my, my playing career and um, and I was really interested in how some of the, the leadership skills and, and skills through playing tops, um, were going to transfer into into business. So I sort of had one eye on um, on, on dancing around a few businesses and, and, and getting understanding between them both. But uh, the IPL came along, so I got an opportunity to play, um, to play for Chennai and I made such a hash of it the first year uh, the only way that boss was going to get a return on investment was to make me a player coach. So he made me player coach for the next couple of years, and um, and that was how I stumbled into coaching. So I didn't set out to become a coach, but I did really enjoy the the opportunity to stay involved in decision making in sport, and um, and also had the time to explore other things. So I was very lucky that I, I got that opportunity to have the best of both worlds. For others, it's not so easy. Sometimes you move into uh, the next field by default, and what a lot of people yeah. only know is the sport that they've played, and you sort of force the pigeonhole into an area where you've, you know, well, I've got to be a coach because really you're too scared to try other things. So a lot of the emphasis now, and, and I really love the work that the players' associations do on exposing players during their career to their opportunities and, and, and improving their skills off season. Um, whereas before it wasn't really done, players were left to their own devices. Now there's really good programs around that just give players the opportunity and athletes the opportunity to explore other areas. And I think the key word is confidence to, to actually stumble out of your sport or finish your sport and have the confidence that, that what you've learned and what you know is really important in other aspects of life. And, and often, surprisingly, even some of the top athletes just lose a little bit of confidence when they move away from something that they've known so well for so long. Mm. Yeah, that's... That is fascinating as well. Fleming, one thing I've been um, grappling with myself around sort of trying to help other people out with leadership and things and that as well is there's different types, I guess, of um, outcomes required, isn't there? There's, I look at, say, the Warriors, for instance, or, or even, say, so that's Nathan Brown, and also, say, um, 
Ian Foster with the All Blacks, and there's the, the need to get instant results now, but also the responsibility of trying to build something which lasts beyond your term. Is that a, is that a difficult, in your eyes, is that a difficult thing to be able to try and achieve, or, or do you have to separate them, or do you think they can, they can stand, stand alongside each other? Well, well, they're really closely linked, but they're, they're also far apart in terms of trying to achieve them. And it's, it's a really interesting point, Brendan, when we look at your career, the style that you adopted, you have a, a really defining moment um, that's been much documented in, in South Africa, which really defined your leadership going forward. So having the ability to, to realise that moment and then shape yourself and others moving forward is really powerful. But it also has to have synergy with the group. And, and often the, the best groups um, have a sense of purpose outside themselves. So the old word selfless and selfish are really closely linked in sport. But in a team environment, you're asking for a lot of selfish um, behaviours. But then when you, when you put the athlete on the field, you want them to be really selfish. So there's a lot of conflicting words and, and behaviours that are required to, to achieve all that you talked about. And, and managing those as a coach is, is just trying to get the balance right might want to up the ante with some who's a bit down on confidence and then drop it for others who are a little bit too outspoken because that's driving the, the team strategy forward. And then within that, you're trying to work out, um, again, how you want to leave this team. And, and you don't want to leave this team um, being fired. You'd love to leave the team in a much better space as people talk about, particularly the All Blacks, leaving the jersey in a much um, better position than when you got it. So that you, the same applies as the coaching. You, you've got pride and ego, um, but the last word I'll throw in there is a bit of luck as well. I, I think you need a little bit of luck when you start out um, just so you can get a couple of results and, and then you can start working on those things. But if you don't get that, then just like players, you start searching for other things and that can get a little bit confusing. And then um, as the players are looking for you for strong leadership, you're a little bit muddled because you've got all these objectives you, you want to get out and do, um, but you're really worried about winning the next game. So it, it ultimately comes back to the little things and, and perhaps a little bit of luck to get underway. And, and you're also big on, on cohesion within um, the teams that you try and pull together. And one of the fascinating insights to your success as a coach over in the IPL with Chennai Super Kings is you've got various different cultures and ethnicities. How do you how do you blend all of them together, understand them all, blend them together, and try and then get them all heading towards a common goal? Yeah, so it's a great question and a great challenge, and and I really like learning from others. So, Christy, in particular, Scott Robinson's been um, been really interesting to spend time with, with the themes and the way he he operates with the Crusaders, and and then just chats with Izzy and and others, even through golf, Kieran Reid and others that have popped up, and but just being able to talk to others about their experiences and um, and what they do as a team, and trying to link that back to the environment that you just discussed, which is so different. The first thing is a lot of what we have to do in the IPL is on is on basically on fast forward. It's on steroids. You've got two months to make an impact. So there's other teams that have nine months to 12 months to really shape a team. You've really got to get something in place quite quick so that going back to your self-preservation as coach, you need to get a couple of wins on the board early to relax and be able to, to get into tournaments and, and get into your career. So it's, it's really hard sometimes to... You see these great outfits and these great organisations operating and just think, geez, how can I fast forward this and, and get this done in two months? And you've got to cut and paste a few things. And ultimately, again, it comes, still comes down to that man management. If you can get alongside, in some cases, we've got about 20, 25 players, haven't we, that we're trying to 
get to know, and, and a third of those might not even speak English. So there's some real challenges, and you know what? You, you're just not going to be able to achieve it perfect model so it's about just trying to get things done it's kind of, I guess focus on on some key players or, or a key 12 or 13 and, and really make sure your relationship with those guys is strong and that's why I'm a big fan of trying to retain players as long as possible because each year that I get to spend with them just cuts down that time of getting to know them so we can start hopefully ahead of the pack if anyone else is chopping and changing because there's so much cricket talent out there you could pick team after team and, and hopefully be competitive but um, if you stick with your people, you get to know them, and year after year, you get to know them at a deeper level than anyone else, and I think that's potentially an advantage. Man, it's always a fascinating insight when I'm walking the fairways at Clearwater with Stephen Fleming and uh, the word cohesion comes out, mate. Hugely important on every side. <laughs> love what you're about. Mate, I want to ask you about Scott Robinson, spending a bit of time with him. I love what he does, he's about and his man management, his deeper understanding on how each individual ticks and what they need. What, what was a couple of the learnings that you're going to take over to Chennai Super Kings when you head back? Oh, just, just his energy is. He's, it's just infectious. Mm. Um, he, he themes, we know he themes, and, and they really have a real strong group purpose. But firstly, you need to sell that. You need to be, and you'd know that very well, being a, a, one of the best influencers in New Zealand. So to be able to sell that um, <laughs> and have purpose around that, around that is really oh, yeah. important. Oh, it's the energy to drive it. Uh, a lot of these ideas dollars, in, um, <laughs> a lot of these um, a lot of these energies uh, a lot of these um, uh, these themes fall over because the lack of energy from uh, the person that's running it and one of the things that comes through yeah. to me is just this absolute um, total commitment to this team and the energy that he brings each day to living what they're going to do this season and it's really small detail to the to the large detail, it's just all encompassing for everyone around, and you can just feel it when you're around and involved with it. Um, so I really admire the energy year after year to, to keep doing that. So I, that, that's certainly something in this COVID world as well that uh, that is infectious and something that I look to take away. That when you're with the group, it's, it's exciting. You're very lucky to be able to be doing what you're doing and and create energy that way. So I, I really like that and admire that of, uh, of Razor. A bit of a deep question, but I guess, do you think leadership, do you think it can be taught or, or learned, or do you think you're kind of bred with it? Yeah, yeah, it is deep. I I think back when I was 23, I, I, I wasn't overly ambitious about being a, a captain, so a lot of my... Um, a lot of my captaincy and leadership was learnt. Uh, there's I guess some uh, some social skills you may have that allow you to communicate a bit better and, and have stronger relationships with players that others might not have at the time. But I, I was very lucky that I had time to develop those. So I, I think it's a little bit of both. I think there's some there's some alpha alpha athletes that stand out, um, and they often become the leaders by default, and not necessarily the best leaders. Uh, and there are leaders that are cut short because they don't have the results or don't have the time to to learn or, or, or change the mistakes that they've made early on as they try and formulate their style. So I think it's a real mixed bag. It's really fascinating to try and understand leadership and, and, and put it into um, paragraphs or sentences that make sense because it's so complex and it really does change from group to group and from task to task and challenge to challenge. And uh, a leader in one aspect might not be a great leader in another. Um, so the ability to sort of work out what 
players you want in your team to be contributing at key times is more important. And in fact, I've gone away from almost using leaders to a more collective um, situation where a number of players can, can contribute and, and, and make really um, substantial contributions by the past experiences that they've had. So you don't have to have a leadership tag to, or a captaincy um, badge to be the uh, to be the leader at that moment. So it's it's really complex and really fluid. And even the way I fumbled through the answers, I guess it's just not that easy to um, to articulate. Well, <clears throat> you might have felt like you stumbled through it, but it makes complete sense, mate. Love we that. really appreciate you joining both Izzy and, and myself here on Baz and Izzy for breakfast, and we wish you all the best in your travels. And we look forward to seeing you over there, mate. And appreciate you giving me all the scoop on how to try and get my team. Um, somewhere near <laughs> near your team over there as well. But really appreciate it. You'll be right. Cu- 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 couple of party shots for me. You, you are. You'll be the absolute dark horse. Which on a, a racing focus show is going to be dangerous for you over there. Is he the golf tournament's not Ambrose? Um, everyone gets sick and tired of your photo where you're looking back. So you might need to work on the short game. But uh, I know. That, I have been. I've been. <laughs> I've been working on the wedges, Flem. I've been working on the wedges. I'll be good. Come, come. You get back, mate. Look out. Right oh, look Very good. <laughs> Thanks, Flem, mate. Take care, mate. That was Stephen Fleming, absolute champion, former New Zealand skipper, obviously current coach of Chennai Super Kings, and and one of the best when it comes to leadership and not just cricket and everything. He is an absolute superstar and some fascinating insights there. So. Appreciate Stephen Fleming joining us here on Baz and Izzy for breakfast in the morning. A big thanks to Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. Sophie Pascoe, Izzy, she's just, she's done it again, hasn't she? She's done it again, mate. Winning, winning her 10th gold medal, uh, 18th overall. She's still got a few events coming up. Um, look, it hasn't been smooth sailing uh, for Sophie Pascoe, as we know as we know at the moment. She's uh, she, she's let all her emotions and feelings out, and we've got a little clip to share that little little insight with you. I went into this one, um, I went into it confident. Um, Matt and I came up with a race plan. I know Matt was talking to Rolly back at home um, and we went through it. And the race plan was just to really keep that kick compact and pick up that stroke rate in that last 10 and it was going to come down to that last 10. As you've seen, that's where um, my drop-off has been and and my training has proved, obviously... um, where that last 10 has been a real struggle and but I'm I've come into this meet the best shape um, physically and mentally as much as I can um, to be standing behind these blocks so if you know we were to go back another year uh, back a year and it was still going ahead a very different story but right now it's not about that it's about the here and now and just making it and knowing that I wanted to podium for each event uh, this one, yeah, just obviously is very special in terms of just touching that wall. I didn't even know where I was. It was just focusing on the black line. And then when I looked up, it was just pure amaze. I actually couldn't believe it. <laughs> I'm, I'm just genuinely so happy. I'm so proud. I'm so proud of myself from where I've come from over this past year and a half. Um, my closest support team knows where I've been and and how much it's taken to get to to be here, even standing here, and that was an achievement in itself. Just to come away with a gold, really special. I'm really proud, and I'm a proud Kiwi, and I was just so proud standing up there tonight knowing that, you know, so many people have been part of this. Wow. 
Absolutely well, mate. The the emotion that Sophie was showing and sharing with us. Thank you so much for sharing with that, that with us, Sophie. It really uh, hits home what it really means to to you and not only yourself, all your fellow athletes around uh, New Zealand and whoever in Tokyo that are representing us with extreme pride and and, and doing us so proud. Um, look, that's the thing from the outside looking in. Bears like we, we see all these athletes and you know there's obviously a lot of lot of talk around it. Um, but the outside looking, everyone just thinks everything's smooth sailing and and uh, you know everything's judged on performances. And we don't know what what Sophie's been going through, and I, I bet she's probably fighting a lot of inner demons and and probably gone through her own struggles over the last year. COVID hasn't helped with preparations, um, but mate, super super proud of her. Her tenth gold medal, um, her eighteenth overall. Mate, she'll get a sore neck if she puts all those on at once. What an unbelievable <laughs> athlete! Uh, we're so proud of her, not only her, William Steadman overnight, 20, 24 hours picking up his second medal, but how awesome was that? A little insight to Sophie Pascoe, mate. Yeah, it was awesome, actually, mate. And I've never seen, and I'm sure none, none, uh, no Kiwis have ever seen that level of emotion, which we've seen out of Sophie Pascoe mm. over the last 48 hours. Obviously, the disappointment of, of the previous um, circumstance and, and now the elation and, the, and just pure... Um, emotion of being able to achieve what she what she's done so it's just a it's a fascinating insight into as you said what what it means to these athletes and and congratulations to sophie as someone who's been there done it so many times and still to hear that level of emotion out of her is, is fantastic so it's it's a great clip as well so thank you to uh, to everyone for putting that one together <laughs> It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.